I do so, uh, for those of you who, uh, who know me, have heard me, heard me preach before, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite things uh, to do is to uh, get my hands dirty. I love to get uh, down in my garden and, and, and work that and till it and so forth. And uh, now it's all done, right? Everything's in, potatoes, carrots, all that good stuff. And uh, nothing to do but start button things up and uh, get ready for next, uh, next spring. But I wanted to share with you this morning a message entitled God's Laws of Sowing and Reaping. I have seven of them. I'll see if I can get through them, all of them, this morning. And that's, that's the other deal is, is uh, but, um, you know, I drive, uh, one of the things I do back in, back in Alma Center is I, I drive a school bus and uh, driving through the countryside and, you know, it's a, I just always like to keep up on the farmers and, you know, who's chopping corn and, and uh, you know, doing soybeans or whatever else is going on out there and it's always just, you know, I, I enjoy that and, and driving through the countryside I always have. And so it seemed to be appropriate this morning to uh, talk a little bit about sowing and reaping. And uh, because that's so much of what uh, our, our routine is. In fact, for many years, um, that's why we had uh, uh, scheduled uh, church services at, at the right times, you know, at certain times, you know, because typically we would, uh, you know, uh, Sunday evening service would be scheduled late you know, to give the farmers enough time to milk the cows and then come in for evening service, you know. And so we were more rural, more agrarian. We've strayed a lot from that, but our whole calendar and schedule was, was around that, around the whole um, agricultural uh, uh, way of life. And so it's, it's normal, it's natural, if we want to talk about uh, kingdom principles to... to kind of get it down on a level that we can relate to. And, and when Jesus and when the apostles talked about sowing and reaping, it's something that everybody could identify with. So I just want to share a few of those laws that are listed in the Bible. And uh, I don't have anything on PowerPoint or anything, so take notes as best you can. And, and uh, you know, if you want to talk to me, well, actually, you're... Uh, Recording that this morning? Yep. Trying to. Trying to. Okay. So we may, you know, have a chance to take a listen, or if you missed a scripture or whatever. But, uh, but some some laws of uh, sowing and reaping, and these are some of them. The first one that I want to share with you this morning is entitled, uh, or is, it simply goes, "You reap what you sow." Right. We've heard that again and again. You reap what you sow. People like to, you know, com- coming out of the. Uh, Middle East and, and uh, the Oriental uh, way of thinking, they call that karma, right? You, you know, you, you kind of get what you, what you deserve kind of thing. You reap what you sow. And the Apostle Paul, in writing in his, to the church at Galatia, Galatia chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, said this. He said, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You reap what you sow. You you plant corn and the odds are corn's going to come up. 
carrot seeds, spinach, whatever you choose to plant is probably what's going to happen. The only time I had a little different experience was when I was back in uh, pastoring back in Kakana many years ago, and I went to, uh, and I like to, you know, buy my seed bulk, you know, so you can say, I can say I like so many ounces or whatever, and they'll weigh it out for you. And I went to the hardware store in, in Kakana and, uh, and ordered some, uh, some uh, uh, bush, bush beans is what I like to plant in my garden. And, and, uh, and they had gotten the beans, bean seeds mixed up. So they looked the same, but they weren't bush beans, they were pole beans. And if you know pole beans, well, they're the long and stringy, and you got to have something for them to grow on. And, and uh, so everybody who ordered bush beans that spring got, got a little surprise when they would normally, you know, you, you plant a certain thing, you have an expectation of, of that coming up, which you have planted. And the Bible tells us that we reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap in that area. If we sow to the spirit, the Bible tells us we reap eternal, eternal life. So folks, there's, there's all kinds of people, and unfortunately even some Christians who are sowing to the flesh, right? They, they you know, have, have maybe accepted Christ as their, as their savior, and yet they're, they haven't made that transition. For me, it, it took probably till I was about uh, 19 years of age when I really, really began to sow to the Spirit. And by that, I mean that Jesus had become not only my Savior, but he'd also become my Lord. And how many of you know that there's a difference there? Amen? You know, as an early, as a, as a boy, you know, many times, um, being, coming from that Arminian background, you know, thinking that God was mad at me and was dangling me over a fire, you know, that kind of, you know, sense that you can lose your salvation, and I believe that that's true. But, but so much so to the extent that, that I thought, you know, if, if I unconsciously uh, did something wrong, that, that, you know, and I had this, this terrible fear of missing the rapture, you know, so if I came home and nobody was home, you know, the first thought that would come into my mind was, oh, no, you know, I did something wrong, and I missed the rapture, and <laughs> And it took a lot of reassuring from my parents and some growth in the Lord until I realized that, that God loves me, number one. Amen? Amen. And, and even though I may be uh, far less than perfect, uh, um, I'm still his son. I'm still his child. And now I'm starting to sound like a Calvinist there, Pastor John. But, but I, I came to that point of realizing that, that God's love is secure and... How can I put this without getting run out of, uh, out of Whitehall here? Um, I'm, I'm eternally secure. As long as I'm secure in him, does that make, it, does that make any sense? As, as long as I'm seeking after the Lord, um, I, don't, I don't have a thing to worry about. Amen? Right. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful for that. So it took me a while to come to that point of realizing that God loves me just the way that I am. And, and resting in that love. And I went through a time of, of rebellion starting about in my 17th year, my senior year of high school, and actually the summer before that, and going into my first year of Bible school where I really struggled. And, and spiritually and so forth, that was my, that was my time of rebellion. And, uh, and God had called me to be a pastor, and I knew that, and yet, uh, and yet I, was, I was rebelling against so much during that time. But I'm thankful for for people that God put around me that got me through that 
period of time. My, my parents, specifically my father, who was a great source of encouragement to me in that period, period of time and showing me unconditional love. Even though I wasn't acting and speaking the way that I should, ha should have, he loved me anyway. And, you know, as, as parents and as grandparents, we need to show that same unconditional love. Amen? To our children, to our grandchildren. You know, even though they may not always do what we would like them to do, we still love them just the same. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And, folks, that's the Father's love. That's the Father's love. God loves us just the way that we are. He wants us to, to get better. He wants us to become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, and that's our goal. But, but I've, you know, I've come to the point where I know that, that God loves me. And so I'm going to do everything that I can to sow to the Spirit. Hallelujah. Not going to sow to the flesh because that, that's no good. That leads us to, to death, to destruction. And, that, and for the Christian, that leads us in, a, in, a, in another way. We don't want to do that. But as Christians, we want to sow to the Spirit. How do we sow to the Spirit? We sow to the Spirit by, number one, asking Jesus Christ to be our Savior and Lord. Amen? Amen. Yeah, we, we repent of our sins. We ask God to come in and into our lives and change us and make us new. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So we begin to sow to the Spirit in that act of becoming born again. But then after that, there's all these wonderful things that we can do to sow to the Spirit. We can read our Bible. One of my favorite things to do is get, my, get the Word out and... And, and feast on it, and even if, it, even if I have time for maybe just a chapter or two in the morning or whatever before I go running out the door uh, with my crazy schedule, I, you know, I love to have that. I love to have those times of prayer. And so for me, you know, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm not trying to put myself up or, or anything, but, but I'm, I'm thankful for that time that I've been able to have. You know, and for me, usually it's it's first thing in the morning before I go out the door is is a good prayer time. And now, uh, a doctor's orders, you know, has been that that man to go. You need to get out and and uh, I, you know, and I, I do gardening and everything, but I need regular cardiovascular exercise. And so now I'm to the point where after my evening meal, I go out and I walk through the streets of Alma Center as I did. I had a regular walking program for about 20 to 25 years, but got away from that these last few years. And so I'm kind of now back into that. And there's nothing more pleasurable for me than walking through Alma Center. And yet as I do, I find myself praying and seeking the face of the Lord. And so it's not only a physical time for me, but it's, it's sowing to the Spirit. Amen? It's sowing to the Spirit, and so, and I, I find myself doing the same thing when I'm out of my garden, and maybe that's one, another reason why I love gardening so much, is that I get, I get in there, and I'm weeding or whatever, and that's not a big mental, you know, thing, you know, you just, you, you're, you're, you're doing, you're doing physical labor. It's probably like a farm, and I've never, you know, I don't come from a, a farming background, but it's probably like a farmer in his tractor, you know, row after row and going back and forth and back and forth, whether you're planting or, or, or tilling or whatever you're doing, you know, there are some things that we do in life that don't engage us mentally or spiritually. And so we can, in that time, amen, seek the face of God and pray. 
Hallelujah. We had one uh, uh, a fellow, one dear brother back in uh, our church, back in Kakana, who was a machinist. And he worked in a, uh, a, a mill, in fact, what was it called, Wisconsin Wire? And they made the mesh, big rolls, rolls of it that, that paper mills uh, used to make paper in. And, and it was just fine, intricate work. I, I had a tour of that, and it's just, oh, just... You know, because I'm not, I'm not that way. You know, some people really get into this little, you know, ranging wires and doing all this stuff. Excuse me, and that would just drive me nuts. But, you know, they did that. Anyway, our, this friend of mine, a deacon in my church there, uh, was a machinist. And he was, he was actually, uh, did, did a lot of repair, you know, for the machines that would break down um, and so forth. And. Uh, and, and he would share that, you know, there were times when I didn't know what to do. And, and then he would stop and pray. And he'd say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. And then God would drop into his heart, into his spirit. Well, how about this? Have you tried that? And, and he'd try it, and it would work. And he'd keep on, and, you know, and God, God would help him. How I many of you know that God cares about what we do? Amen. He does, and, and it's, there's not something, anything very spiritual about keeping machinery going, but, but God cared about that, and God would help him and tell him what he needed to do. So we sow to the Spirit. We sow to the Spirit by, by reading the Word, by, by praying. We sow to the Spirit by investing in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? And whether that be financially, as you folks have done over the years, and to, you know, for... Whitehall Assembly, or cool, I'm sorry, Cooley Christian, all right? And that's a wonderful new name for this church. I love it. Um, but, but, you know, financially, absolutely giving up our time. Bless your hearts, you guys who show up to shovel the sidewalks or do whatever else needs to be done. You, you know, it may look mundane and, and so forth, but folks, you're sowing to the Spirit, right? You're doing what you can to advance the kingdom of God, Right? So we, we affirm, amen, we thank the Lord for the word of God, for the principles that God has in, the, in his word, and for instruction that we receive from them. So we want to sow to the spirit. So many have, have chosen not to, and you know, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, amen? And when you sow to the, you sow to the flesh, that's kind of how things turn out, how, how they work out, but... We want to uh, sow to the Spirit. If you sow to the Spirit, amen, um, you're going to reap what you sow, and uh, we want to reap eternal life and the rewards that God has for us up in heaven. And I'm, you know, and I, I guess I don't spend too much time thinking about that. You know, we sing, like to sing that great hymn of the church, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop, and and uh, think about what that place looks like and what heaven is like and, and, uh, and the rewards. But, you know, the, the reward for me is just, just doing things, just the knowledge of that, that I'm helping to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, whatever, you know, whatever it is, I'm helping to advance the kingdom of God. And for me, that's, that's enough. But there's, there's reward in the hereafter as well. So you, we, we reap what we sow. And we want to reap towards the spirit. The second law of sowing and reaping is this. You reap 
according to the amount that you sow. All right, this isn't profound stuff, but this is, you know, this is some stuff that we can uh, lay hold on, right? We reap according to the amount that we sow. The Apostle Paul says, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 6, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so this isn't rocket science, is it? It's just, you, you, you sow a little bit, you get a little bit. And I figured out, I remember this last spring, and, you know, I usually order about 10 pounds of uh, wonderful Yukon gold potatoes. Anybody ever try those? They're wonderful. Great flavor to them. They produce about twice as much as uh, the Kennebecs that I used to plant. So I was just, man, they're just awesome. So I buy about 10 pounds of seed potatoes, and I don't cut them up at all. I just put a whole potato in the ground. And then like, like uh, you know, I, I don't know, that's just me. I just, I, I don't like some to you run the risk of uh, 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 having rot in your potato if you cut it, if it doesn't properly cure, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, so I just put the whole potato in. And uh, when I was in my first church, I had another dear brother. He would give me, give me all kinds of advice. And I just it, just, it was just great stuff. And he told me that when, I put, when you put, you know, Pastor Greg, when you put your seed potatoes in the ground, make sure that you cover them with wax paper. Okay, wax paper. That the way that way they don't get any dirt in their eyes. Okay, so so it's just it's great, great stuff. And and you know, he also told he also told me that, that when you when you plant your garden, you want to make sure that you plant it alphabetically. You know, so you start out with your asparagus, your broccoli, your cauliflower, you know, your so on and so forth, and that way your weeds are all at the end of the garden. So I thought, great. You know, good, good help. Anyway, um, but anyway, I bought some seed potatoes. I put them in the ground, and yet, you know, I was just happy. I, would, I had a few extra potatoes, but, but I had 25 hills planted, five rows, five hills each. And, and I thought, you know, that looks just about right. And so I gave the rest of the seed potatoes away and, and happy with what I had. But you, you put in a few, you get a few. You put in a little more, you get, you get more. And so, again, not rocket science, but stuff that we can lay hold upon and apply to our lives. We reap according to the amount that we sow. What the Apostle Paul was talking about in this particular passage when he says, whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly, he was encouraging the, the churches, in fact, this, this particularly the church in Galatia, in regards to the situation back in Jerusalem. There were these dear saints back in Jerusalem who, who stayed, you know, missed all of the persecution, everything else that was going on there. They stayed in Jerusalem. But because of the fact that, that they were a persecuted minority, they were subject to maybe having their property seized. They were, they were subject to maybe losing a job because they were Christians. Um, uh, possible loss of life. You know, there, it, was a, it was a bad situation there in Jerusalem for a number of years. Um, in the early days of the church. And so the Apostle Paul was traveling throughout Achaia and Macedonia, and he was saying to the churches, hey, we should sow to the Spirit. We should take up an offering. Let's take up an offering for the poor Christians back in Jerusalem. And then, you know, in the context of that, he said to them, he who sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. He who reaps or sows generously will reap generously. Folks, the Bible tells us and experience tells me that God is, is, is not a debtor to anybody. And, and it is true. I'm not, a, not a, a, a prosperity preacher by any means, but I know the truth of the word of God. And I know that if I sow generously, amen, to the kingdom of God, I will also in return reap generously. And I found that to be true, folks. When I was a little boy, and my father would give me an allowance of a dime. Woohoo! <laughs> that was big stuff. Of course, you could get penny candy and you know all kinds of cool stuff, but a dime. And I would take a penny and put it in the offering. That was my tithe. And ever since then, I have tithed. And folks, I don't tithe on my net. I tithe on my gross before taxes, before anything else. I look at that, you know, whenever I get a, a, a pay stub or whatever, okay, you know, what was my gross? And I, I figure out my tithe for that particular amount for whatever it was that I had done, that I got paid for. And... Uh, 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 you know, I have to say that God has always blessed us. Amen. You know, I, you know, according to the word of God, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Amen. Amen. God blesses us by, you, you, you sow a lot, you get a lot. God blesses us. I, I just one, one little testimony and I'll move on. I remember back in 1981. <clears throat> And we had planned, my wife and I had planned things out very carefully that, that you know, because we had gotten married um, and I had like three more years of college. And so, um, I, I, you know, we had agreed that we weren't going to start a family until after I was out of Bible school, you know, because I wanted to make sure that I finished. You know, sometimes a, a, a baby can, baby changes things. <laughs> so... No kids until after I get out of college. No kids until I have employment and I have health insurance. So we were doing everything that we could to be steward, good stewards. And so, you know, got out of college, moved back to Wisconsin, steady employment, health insurance, um, wife becomes pregnant, all right? So we, we everything going according to plan. And how many of you know that sometimes when you go according to plan, God just loves to take those plans, amen, and throw them every place, every which way. And so we, we you know, baby comes. Our, our son, uh, Greg Jr., was born on January 1st of 1981 in Prairie Duchene. He was the first baby born in Crawford County. So, you know, a picture in the paper and all these cool prizes from the merchants and so forth. And... And, uh, and I was working at this shoe store in downtown Prairie Duchesne, you know, doing pastoral things as, you know, but they, you know, back in those early years, they couldn't, you know, you know, I was, wasn't getting up to, to support my family. So that was my means of support. So I worked in the shoe store and, 
And in our, our, I remember our winter sale that year, you know, we had all the stuff that we were trying to sell out on racks and people were coming in. And my boss was, uh, I think she, by that time she was 72, 73 years of age and uh, with, with heart condition, all right? And, uh, you know, she worked right along with me that day and, and uh, you know, sometimes she would get these chest pains and she'd pop her uh, nitro pills and I'd see her face white and she'd be leaning up against the uh, shelving in the back and wait for the nitro to take effect and then she'd, you know, then she'd go right back to work. And uh, I remember the call in the middle of the night saying that, that my boss had had a stroke and uh, in a couple, three hours later, you know, she didn't make it, she died. And uh, uh, so I get up that morning and uh, I don't have a place to go to work to. Uh, you know, place was closed, the owner, you know. And, uh, and but just before that, I don't know if you remember that, this was kind of news back in the day, but, but just before that happened, um, the bridge going from Prairie du Chien over into Iowa, across the Mississippi River, they, it had been inspected, and it had found that they had used defective steel in the making of that bridge, and it was beginning to crack, it wasn't, you know, wasn't up to code. And so with a few hours warning, they shut the bridge down. And so, you know, if you know Prairie du Chien, half of our business came from Iowa. All those farmers, all those folks over in Iowa, they'd come across the bridge, they'd come into Prairie du Chien to spend their money. And so these two things happened. I lost my job, the bridge was closed, and people weren't hiring. And so I went through a time, folks, and, and we had a baby, and oh yeah, and the other part was that my wife was, you know, she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, so she quit all of her jobs, all right? And, you know, so she's home with the baby. I just lost my job. Nobody's hiring. And I went through a period of about nine months until God, you know, and part of it was God dealing with my heart. And I, th I shared my testimony about this previously here, but God dealing with my heart until I was real willing to go, the place of all places, Milwaukee, the place I'd, I said I'd, I'd, I don't want to go there. In fact, I'd, return, I'd turned down a job offer uh, back in 1979 to go to uh, Milwaukee. I needed a, a, a Christian education minister, pastor uh, at, at the Milwaukee West Layton there, you know, at a position there, and a fairly good position, and yet I just turned him down flat because we didn't want to go to Milwaukee, you know, and so God brought us to the point where we were willing to go anywhere and do anything for the kingdom. And, and so finally, after nine months, um, God opened the door to go to Milwaukee. I went to church, I went to work at a little church up on the north side of Milwaukee, Faith Assembly of God, Pastor Ralph and Cora Skinner up there, and worked for them for a couple of years as a youth pastor. And uh, of course, again, having to work full time in order to, you know, provide for my family. That's just the way it, the way it was. And, uh, but, you know, I, I'm a saver. And I, ha I have my tax records way back. I still have them. And so I went back and I looked, you know, boy, 1981, that was a tough year. You know, no employment, little baby, you know. 
And yet I can testify, first of all, that, that we never went without paying our bills. And, we, and, and we, we always, you know, we bought this little fixer-upper house that we brought our baby boy home to. And we were always paid our mortgage on time. I, I still owed payments on a wonderful Chevy Chevette, you know, that I bought brand new. Woo-hoo! Great car. And yeah, <laughs> they'll drive you happy, okay? And, and payments on that and, and, you know, all the expenses, and yet God always provided. How did, how did that happen? Wow. And I looked at my tax records for that year, and, uh, and income for that year that I reported to the IRS was, was I think, about $3,000. You know, how in the world did that happen? Part of it was I was willing to do anything, you know, you know, and so I found myself roofing sheds and doing, can you, can you finish roofing that shed? I said, sure I can. You know, and I got up there and started to swing my hammer and, you know, whatever, whatever needed to be done. You know, I was doing it, you know, because I had a family to support. But I, I have to say that in testimony this morning that, that God was faithful. God was faithful and he always took care of us and our needs were provided and bills were paid and God blessed us exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And, uh, uh, and I still paid my tithes, all right, even in that very difficult time. When we didn't know where the money was going to come from, we didn't know how things were going to work out, I still paid my tithes. And God blessed us. So just as an encouragement to you folks, do what you can for the Lord. And this isn't all about money. It's also about our, our uh, different things we do for the kingdom of God. Whether you're talking about tithing your time, giving your time, giving your energy to the kingdom, your talents, your abilities. Uh, that's all sowing to the spirit. And you reap to the amount that you sow. And so if you sow a lot, you're going to get a lot of return. And I believe that to be true. I once read an article about these Chinese farmers. They were potato farmers. And, uh, um, you know, they, they had agreed that, that it was kind of crazy to put these nice, great, big potatoes in the ground. You know, they, they'd be able to feed our families. And so they started to hold back the nicer potatoes and only put the smaller potatoes in the ground. And you know what the harvest began to look like? Little teeny tiny potatoes, lots of them, okay? If you wanna, you know, I mean, we can do what you want, but if you sow sparingly, you're gonna reap sparingly. And I know that God blesses, amen, a cheerful giver. So enough about that, let's move on. Here's another rule uh, of sowing and reaping. You reap more than you sow. You reap more than you sow. And that, again, that's a miracle. Somebody who can't, doesn't believe in God, you know, how can you deny that when you plant a little tiny seed? You take a little tiny carrot seed or a spinach seed, infinitesimal. And yet out of that seed grows a, a carrot. I had, I had three carrots, folks, that were about, and I'm not exaggerating, were about yay round. This, you know, big carrots. Whoa. Part of it, I think, was all the rain we got and so forth. But my goodness, they were, they were just enormous. 
And that that can come from a little teeny tiny seed is a miracle. That you could put a little corn seed in the ground. And up comes this stalk that can be six to eight feet up and has ear, you know, one or two or three ears of corn on there. It's amazing. It's a miracle. That you can take a, a, a sunflower seed and put it in the ground. And up comes this sunflower stalk. Some of them 12, 15 feet up in the air. Big flower head on it, full of seeds. I love to raise those things just because, you know, if they're good, if they're good uh, uh, sunflowers, I just leave them up in the, in the garden. Leave them for the birds and the squirrels and so forth. And, and uh, you, know, it's, you know, God cares about them too. Um, you reap more than you sow. God blesses us. Hallelujah. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Where you sow is important. Did you realize that? Where you sow is important. Jesus told the story of the seed and the sower in Matthew chapter 13 and again in Luke chapter 8. He tells the story about a sower who goes out and he scatters seed everywhere. Some on the hard ground. Some on the rocky ground. Some on the ground prone to weeds, thorns. And some on good ground. And he says, you know, and, and uh, the hard ground, the birds came along and, and ate the seed. And uh, the, the rocky ground, the seed went in and, and, and yet didn't come to full fruition because it, the roots weren't able to get, you know, get good penetration. Uh, the, uh, the, the thorny ground came up, looked good, but the, the thorns came up around them and choked the life out. And the good ground. Seeds are planted, and, and a great yield came as a result of that. But when I say you got to sow everywhere, I want to say this. Sometimes you have to be careful not to prejudge somebody else and say, oh, they'll never come to Christ. They're so hardened. Their hearts are so hard. What's the use in wasting seed scattering on that hard ground? And folks, I have to tell you, and, and you, many of you know this from experience, that you don't know what's going on in the heart. And you may think that that's hard, hard ground, but you don't know. You know, I've, I worked for in many years, in my early years in sales, and we were constantly told, don't prejudge your customer. Don't get it in your head, oh, they're not going to buy anything. Why, why, should I, why should I try? You know, I remember, you know, back in Milwaukee and working in that, in that shoe store, and a fella came in, sat down. He had his buddy with him, and he says, Get me the most comfortable pair of shoes in the store. And you know, and I didn't like his attitude and he seemed kind of cocky and so forth and he kind of put me off. And, and so I said, well, can you be more specific? You know, and I, so I kind of hemmed and hawed and finally he said, well, get me another pair just like these. And he had a pair of, we called them dingo boots, you know, side zip, you know, banana color boots, you know, that you could get back in the day. And, 
And so I went me out, got his size, went back out, you know, bought him up to the customer counter there and to ring up the sale, and we always had to get their name and so forth, you know, so we, for our mailing list and name, and, and he says, Crazy Jim. Thought, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a Milwaukee native, so that name doesn't mean anything to me, but I write it down, and I find out later, you know, that Crazy Jim was, uh, had a series of uh, used car lots. He was known, uh, I think, uh, uh, demolition Derby sponsoring those. He's just kind of he was just kind of a colorful figure back in the day in Milwaukee. And uh, Crazy Jim carried a, a wad of bills in his in his pocket. In fact, later on, in fact, I have an article in my files back home of, of him being in Las Vegas and somebody rolling him, you know, because they knew that he carried a lot of money with him. Crazy Jim would spend money at the drop of a hat. And if I hadn't prejudged him, instead of a $70 sale, I could have, he could have, I could have had a two or $300 sale, right? But I just didn't like his attitude, and so I didn't try very hard. But that was a lesson to me, folks. Don't prejudge somebody. You don't know whether they're going to buy or not. You don't know whether or not they're going to get saved. Amen. Amen. So we're going to scatter seed on the hard ground. Amen. We're going to scatter seed on the thorny ground. People who are so caught up in the cares of this world that the, the seed that was planted there is in danger of being choked out. Right? But you, you know, well, maybe, maybe somebody's going to come along and pull those thorn, thorns out, and maybe those seeds are going to have a chance. Or the rocky ground. I garden in Prairie du Chien, good river bottom land. Every time you tilled it, you tilled up more rocks. And so, so I had to go through every spring on my hands and knees picking up rocks so that I could, you know, make good use of that garden. It's just the nature of things down there. But, uh, uh, you know, you don't know. Maybe it's good ground. Who knows? Well, let's sow. Let's sow seed wherever we get a chance. Where we sow is important, but let's scatter seed. If we do not sow, you won't reap. Now, there, again, there's rocket science, right? If you don't sow, you don't put any seed in the ground, probably not going to get it. You might get a volunteer this or that in your garden, but probably not much else. Okay? If you don't sow, you're not going to reap. Jesus tells the story in Matthew chapter 25 of the parable of the talents. You know, one person given five talents, another person given two, another person one. Master goes away, he comes back later, and the man who had five talents, which is an amount of money back in those days, um, amount, uh, was able to turn his five talents into ten. The man with two talents was able to turn his two talents into four, and the man with one talent went and buried that amount of money in the backyard. And he said, Master, I knew you were a hard man that you reap where you don't sow. And so I buried it in the, out back, and here it is. Here's your money back. It's safe. And uh, the master wasn't very pleased because he didn't use what he had to further the cause of the master. We have to, we have to use what we have. If, if we don't sow... 
we're not going to reap. And so it's important to sow. I want to tell you, I know I'm running out of time here this morning, but I want to tell you a story about Corita. Uh, uh, she was a dear saint. She's gone on to be with the Lord now. But Corita was in my first church back in Kakana. Kakana, a city of about 20,000 people. And the people who knew her around town always knew she was a little odd, a little eccentric. She dressed funny and, you know, but she was, she was her own person. She didn't care what people thought. And, uh, and whenever she went into, and she ate out a lot, whenever she went into a restaurant before she left, everybody in that restaurant received a gospel tract. You know, she would go from table to table, give them a tract, and, you know, for some people they get mad, some people whatever, and, you know, that's just what she did. And uh, it, during that time, an older gentleman began to attend our church. And I was doing everything that I could to be a good pastor to him. This man got sick. He eventually died. I was with him the, when he passed away. But I went to see him in the hospital. And at the end of our visit, I, I offered to pray uh, with him. And he said, no, I will pray. And he got out this gospel tract. And he had memorized the prayer on the back of the tract. And you guessed it. He was one of those people that Carita had given a tract to. And that man had come to faith in Jesus Christ because of that gospel tract. It wasn't my great skills as a pastor or anything else, but it was Carita and her tracts. And I've never done that. I probably never will. Go into a restaurant and give everybody a tract? No. <laughs> but she did. And there's at least one person in the kingdom of God because of that. Amen. So, do what you can. Sow seed everywhere. You never know who's going to come into the kingdom. Right? We would, we would back in, in Alma Center, we would... Back when they had those, remember those Pentecostal evangels that were the evangelistic edition? Yes. And we would order a bunch of those whenever they came out, and we would, you know, one, one time we'd hit, get a bunch of volunteers on a Saturday morning, we'd go door to door and give out evangels. We'd hit Alma Center, another time we'd hit Maryland, and another time we'd go up to Humbert, and another time to Hickston, and we'd just hit every house. Every house got a Pentecostal evangel, a letter of invitation from our church. And I don't know how effective that was. I don't know that we ever saw any great results from that. But folks, we were out there sowing seeds. Amen. We we're doing what we could. And that's what God expects, folks. It's, you know, if, if you never see results from that, you just don't know. You don't know what the effect has been. Who comes to Christ because of what you've done? And so it's just more important than, than anything just to, just to sow seeds. Don't prejudge. Don't, don't think, oh, they're never going to come to faith. You don't know. You know, that's the word where, that's where prejudice comes from, is to prejudge. You're prejudiced. You're judging somebody before you get to know them by the color of their skin, by the 
the, the, where they come from, by how they dress, maybe by what their last name is. I get that. You know, I've lived in, in Alma Center for 20 years, and I know names. And if, and if it's this certain name, I know, oh, well, let's see, that, they're usually drinkers and hard, hard liver. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's just, you know, there's certain names, you know, and, and I'm sure it's the same here in, in Whitehall. You know that. That, that, that it, it, different name, they have a reputation for certain things. Or they're, they're good, good people or whatever, you know. But we have to be careful that we don't become prejudiced. We don't prejudge. You don't know what's going on in their hearts and in their lives. Amen. Well, quickly, let me just hit the last couple here. Someone else may reap the benefit of our sowing, and that's okay. If maybe you sowed and, and later on somebody leads them to Christ, hey, you're a part of that. Amen? You're a part of that person coming to Christ. Amen. And finally, you dare not sow only at your own convenience. Okay? Let me, uh, the Bible says, whoever watch, Ecclesiastes 11.4, whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Okay? Let me just quickly share this last story with you. Um, a Georgia farmer, ragged and barefooted, was standing on the steps of his tumble-down shack. The stranger stopped for a drink of water. How's your cotton coming along, he asked. Ain't got none, replied the farmer. Did you plant any, asked the stranger. Nope, said the reply. Afraid of boll weevils. Well, continued the stranger, how's your corn? Didn't plant none, came the answer. Afraid that there weren't going to be no rain. The visitor persevered. Well, how's your potatoes? Ain't got none. Scared of potato bugs. Really? What did you plant? Pressed the stranger. Nothing, was the calm reply. I just played it safe. <laughs> Folks, there are some people like that. They're just playing it safe. There's some Christians out there that are like that. Just playing it safe. They don't want to offend anybody. They're afraid of ruffling feathers. And, you know, in all honesty, sometimes that's me. But I don't want to offend anybody. And, and so sometimes I am hesitant when maybe I should be more forceful and more bold in the presentation of the gospel. But we've got to do something. Amen? Let me close with this last quote. I just heard this. This is wonderful. It's attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, who said, the best thing to do is the right thing. The second best thing to do is the wrong thing. The worst thing to do is nothing. <laughs> okay. Right or wrong, do something. Pass out tracks, whatever. You never know whose life you're going to touch. Amen? You never know.